Thanks for listening to the Faith Assembly of God podcast. Please join us at 9 11 a.m. at the main campus and 11 a.m. at the Monk's Corner, Remount, and North Charleston campuses. Thank you for listening, and we hope that God blesses you through doing so. Welcome this morning to Faith Assembly of God. I'm Pastor Larry Burbacher, and you're at one of our four campuses, and it's so great to have you worshiping with us today. Now, right now, as you're watching this video, I'm in Cape Town, South Africa. We have a team of 11 men who have gone down there to Cape Town to build a church in one of the poorest sections of Cape Town. This church is going to be a lighthouse. It's going to reach people. It's going to serve kids and the needy and the hurting in Shantytown of South Africa. So your team is down there. Please pray for us while we're there. In just a moment, your campus pastor is going to come up. He's going to bring an incredible message from God's Word about how you can find your place in God's story. Today you're looking at a, a, at a kind of a, a cyclical period in Israel's history. They were going through these cycles of, of rebellion and sin and falling back into idolatry. And every time they did that, God allowed the enemies to come and overtake them. And so it is in our life. When we go through that same cycle of sin over and over again, the enemies come and they put us into bondage. And then the people would cry out and they would say, God deliver us. God bail us out. And God would, was so faithful and so good, he would send another judge who would come into the land and literally bring deliverance to the children of Israel. You're going to learn about an incredible man. One of my favorite stories growing up, the story of Samson and how God would use him even though there were some twisted perversions along the way, God in his grace would use him to once again deliver the nation of Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. Listen to God's word now as your campus pastor comes to minister to you today. God bless you. Have a great day. All right. Good morning. That was weak. Good morning. Amen. Hey, I want to make a comment just about there's a little segment with a video clip of some teenagers on there. Uh, the, these two kids, they did an amazing thing. Today, if you don't know, is National Speed the Light Day. And Speed the Light is our missions organization, our fundraising aspect of what our teenagers do. We raise money for our missionaries overseas. They buy them cars, vehicles, I guess a car is a vehicle, sound equipment, camels, donkeys, boats. They, they support our missionaries to speed their efforts. And, uh, and Corey and Dwayne have put together a short 13-minute video and uh, they edited it. They did all this great stuff. And it's available out in the lobby for you guys to purchase. And so if you support that, I think it's only 7 bucks. But all that money is going to our missions. And it's a really cool project that two junior high students just came up with. That's pretty neat, right? It's pretty neat, right? All right. All right. Well, we are, we are in the story this morning. I'm telling you what, how many of you just love this series? It's been good. It's been good stuff. Going back to some of these, these things that we kind of always know or if we've been raised in church that we've always heard about. I'm telling you what, I, I love this word. And I want to challenge you before we jump in that I, I've adopted philosophy early on in, in studying this, this word is that these stories are my stories. That makes sense to you? These stories are my stories. So when I look at Adam and Eve and I look at that story, I see myself because... I've taken the fruit. I've messed up. But the, the hand of God has been in my life and has, has brought me out. When I, when I look at the ch- children of Israel leaving the Exodus, I've, I've been enslaved and I've been in bondage and God brought me out. And see, as we look at these stories, we discover that these stories are our stories. 
And in that, we see a huge, big God using imperfect people to accomplish his plan. Isn't that encouraging? We're going to talk about this. We're going to talk about Samson this morning. And uh, before we do that, let's, let's pray. God, we thank you for this morning. Lord, we thank you for an opportunity to look into your word. God, thank you that your word is truth. And I pray this morning that our, that our ears would be open, our hearts would be open. And God, this truth this morning would produce transformation. And Lord, we thank you that you are a God of grace and mercy. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Turn to your neighbor. Tell them they look good. Turn to your other neighbor. Tell them they look young. Why are you laughing? Why are you laughing? Don't laugh. Have the youth band up here. I'm telling you what, I feel young this morning. You feel young? I may be wearing a Mr. Rogers sweater, but I feel young. You guys good? It's all right. We have, uh, we have started our, our conquering giant section in this period. We're, we're leaving Moses and Joshua, and we're moving into the time of the judges. And, and this morning, we're going to look at probably the most famous guy out of that book, and that's the life of Samson. And Samson, and we'll talk about this in, in detail in a minute, he had some issues going on. He had some stuff happening. And I, I think there's a lot we can learn from these issues, regardless of where we are in our walk on the Christian faith. There's some good stuff in here that I believe that God has for every one of us this morning. So this morning, jumping in, I want to give you a little bit of background. There's a verse in Judges chapter 13, verse 24, that's kind of going to set the stage for us to give us a little tone and some little background. It says, the woman gave birth to a boy and named him Samson. He grew and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him. And I love that. The, the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him. I just want to say a side note. And you, if you have children, pray over your kids that the Spirit of the Lord at an early age would begin to stir in them. That's why we believe in kids' ministry here at Faith Assembly. That, that Spirit stirs in them. It also says that, that Samson, he's, he's kind of a, a unique guy with this prophetic calling on his life that he was going to be a judge, they were going to raise him up. And it says that he will begin, and this is a critical word, that he will begin to deliver Israel out of the hands of the Philistines. You see, there was a beginning to his calling and what he was going to do. And we don't know whether or not he was going to finish that and completely annihilate all of that. But this process, it was his calling, this unique calling, to start the process to deliver the children of Israel from the hands of the Philistines. To be that deliverer. This unique birth, in fact, earlier, the Lord said it this way. That the nations that were not conquered, that were in the promised land, would be there to test, to test the Israelites. The unconquered nations, like the Philistines, who were in the promised land, who were in the land that the Israelites were inhabiting, were there to test the Israelites. Testing them of what? Why would God do that? I believe it's to see how loyal the children of Israel would be to the promises and commitments they made to God. He, was, he had this unique birth. It says in this unique birth that he was also a Nazarite. Now, a Nazarite basically means a devoted or a consecrated individual. And they took vows, and if you've been in Sunday school or been raised in church at any point in any time, there was three specific vows that they would take. 
And one, the first vow is that they agreed not to drink any fermented drink. In fact, a lot of people, a lot of the Nazarites took this a step further, that they wouldn't even eat grapes or raisins. Like, this is something that we're, this is a standard that we're going to hold to. We're not going to do that. The next thing they say, they, they wouldn't touch anything dead. I'm okay with that one. I kind of like grapes. But I'm okay with not touching dead things. It's just, uh, oh, it's not something that I have trouble with. That wouldn't be anything that I'd have trouble with. And, and lastly, it says that they wouldn't cut their hair. They wouldn't cut their hair. Okay, now most Nazarite vows were for just a specific period of time. But in Samson's unique birth, it was said that he was going to be a Nazarite from birth for all of his life. That was his vow. That was his commitment. He was to be set apart for what God wanted to do in his life and through his life. This process of delivering people this, this, to begin this work, this stirring process in his life. Not only was a unique birth, not only in this unique birth was he called to be a Nazarite, but he also was a judge. Now, when we say judge in the Old Testament, it, what we consider a judge and what we think of judge in our, our, our minds is a lot different back then. Basically, a judge is just a, a very prominent leader. Someone that God raised up as a leader. And the job of this leader was to rally the people or to bring people back or to grab people together to force them for a cause. Okay, so this was kind of his responsibility as a judge. More than that, it was even military leadership. That he provided military leadership for the country. Now, the judges period in itself... And I I know I'm moving quickly. This is just kind of the introduction and some background. The judges period in itself lasted for 350 years. And there was 12 judges, and Samson was the last of those judges. And some of their time period overlapped. But we find in this time period that at least seven times, probably more, but at least seven times that were documented, that Israel would turn away from God. Israel would turn, turn away from God. As you recall, they, they've been following, we've been following this story along that they had made promises to God that they would be a separate nation, that God was bringing them out of the idolatry, out of all of that stuff. But now on at least seven different occasions, they have turned away from the promises that they made to God. So what God would do, as we heard in our video, God would raise up a judge and that judge would come out and he would rally and the people would serve the Lord and then they would fall away. And this thing was constantly repeating. A judge would rise up, the people would turn to God. And then they would, the judge would go away or they would fall away. And the people would turn away and do the same exact sin that they were just brought out of over and over again. So we see right off the bat is that Israel's major struggle was a cycle of sin in their life. It was a cycle of sin in their life. Now Samson, because of Israel's sin cycle, has this unique calling on his life. He is the judge that God raises up. And God did it miraculously. He put him in a place. He set him apart with some vows and some things. And he asked him to do this great work. You see, not only did he have these kind of things in his life, but not only was he a Nazarite, had this unique birth, this prophesied calling, not only was he a judge, but Samson was empowered by the Lord. And these are some of the stories that we hear early on. Samson was empowered by the Lord. Did you know he did some crazy things, like things he was famous for? Like, he ripped a lion apart with his bare hands. I mean, that's pretty intense. You know, I like in the pit with a lion on a snowy day where the guy jumps in the pit and kills the lion. But I think he had some kind of sword or something. Samson, just like, I just picture him grabbing both of the teeth as the thing's coming at him like 100 miles an hour. And he just grabs him by the mouth and 
and grabs the tail. Who's next? You know? This guy, the Spirit of the Lord would empower this guy, and he, he would do some, some crazy, crazy things. There was at one point it says, and I don't know how in the world anybody would do this, that he captures 300 jackals or foxes. I don't, you know, I, I, I picture like the Middle East, like desert. I don't know. There's lions and jackals and foxes and crazy things. And he says he captures these foxes and he ties their tails together. I don't, I don't even know how that's possible. Maybe Samson was the inventor of the first zip tie or whatever the case may be. But he gets their tails together and he lights them, puts a torch in them, lights them on fire. And he sends them through the wheat fields of the Philistines. And they basically burn up all these wheat fields. This kind of makes the Philistines mad. You burned our crops. And so the Philistines mount an army of a thousand men to go after one. And Samson says he picks up a, jockey, a donkey's jawbone. It says it was a new jawbone. I don't know. I don't really understand that either. But he grabs a new jawbone. And he picks it up and he whips 1,000 men. Bruce Lee had nothing on Samson. 1,000 men. Done. At one point in Samson's life, it says, you know, he, he grabs these iron steel gates that were in the major city of, of Gaza, I believe. And he, and he grabs these iron and steel gates and he just rips them off and takes them and just kind of throws them up in the field on a hill. I don't know what, hey, I, I'll, I'll show you. I'm going to take your giant gates and throw them. I mean, he, he, he does some, some crazy powerful things in his life. Now, the amazing thing is, I think in my head, I'm like, what did this guy look like? Anybody think that? Like you picture like the rock, but with hair? <laughs> Just picture it right now. It's kind of funny. What did he look like? But I think it's interesting that the Bible never describes his physical stature. Like, you know, with, with Saul, it says Saul was a head high, higher than everybody else. He was this good looking guy. It never describes his physical stature. I think that's interesting that, that what it shows us, listen, it, it shows us that there's no indication the way he looks. It says that the spirit of the Lord empower him. In other words, it wasn't based on his talents. It wasn't based on his looks. It wasn't experience, education, where he came from. But the spirit of the Lord empowered him to call him to do a purpose. I just think that's, that's neat. For all we know, he could have looked like Pastor Craig <laughs> with long hair. Don't mess with him. Don't. Don't mess with him. Don't, don't mess with him. All this impressive stuff, and here's where we're going to get to this morning. Samson had another side to him. You see, as our title says, Samson was powerfully weak. Samson was powerfully weak. In these next few minutes, we're going to look at, at a man and his inconsistencies in his life. We're going to look at some major giants that he faced and draw some applications, what I believe, for our journey of faith and where we're at. So turn to your neighbor and say, get ready. I was weak. Get ready. Get ready. First thing we're going to see in Samson's life, and this, you're going to say this is a little bit out of order, Pastor Jason, but it's going to make sense. Number one, the giant of apathy. The giant of apathy. Apathy means lack of interest, enthusiasm, or concern. I don't care attitude. Samson's story is in Judges probably 13 to 16 and, and towards the end of this, and I know I'm going out of the chronological order of the story, but towards the end of this, we'll, we'll get to some 
stuff in his life where he is under extreme amount of pressure. And there's probably one of the saddest scriptures that is in the Bible. He's under extreme pressure and this pressure, he he lets his guard down. And he lives in this apathetic life with no concern. And there's there's a scripture tucked away in Judges chapter 16. It says, he did not know that the Lord's spirit had left him. One of the most tragic moments in Samson's life, and, and it's a sobering thought. And for me, as I look at that, I don't want to be in a place where the Spirit of God is not present in my life, where I'm not hearing that voice. I want to be the person who, who nurtures that. I want the Spirit of God to grow into my life, to be built, to be sensitive. And when I walk through whatever experiences that I'm going through, I want to be sure that I can hear and know the voice of the Lord. But what happens often is, is that my behaviors can take me a long way off of that. From remaining sensitive to God and who he is. And that's what we see here in Samson's life. There are four different occasions where, where God stirs him and comes upon him in power. But now towards the end of his reign, we see that he's in a place in his life where he doesn't even know that God has left him. And he becomes so numb, so apathetic because of the behaviors, listen to me, because of the behaviors and the things that are going on around and the things that he's involved in, the things that are up close and personal in his life, that he doesn't even know that the Spirit of God has left him. Now, real quick on a side note, before you go off on a rabbit trail worried about your salvation and your security, I just want to say, don't go there. The cool thing is that you will hear later in Hebrews chapter 11 that he is mentioned among the giants of faith, that he was God's man and he was God's leader. But here's the case for us this morning. His life took a detour that it never should have taken because of his own actions, because of the apathy that creeped inside of his life. Now, how did he get there? Very quickly, how did he get there? How does apathy creep into our life? And what I want you to think is maybe how apathy can creep in our own lives as well. First thing he did, he ignored his godly, godly heritage. He ignored his godly heritage. His parents raised him with a godly heritage. And, and not only that, is, is Samson knew all of the stories. Remember, we've just talked about Moses and Joshua and all of those things that have happened and, and, the, and the Shema of Israel that would shout out, that would say, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These are the commandments. You're to bind them and press them on your children. Talk about them when you sit, when you walk, when you lie down. Tie them as symbols. These, these, this is the promises. These are the speeches that, that Samson heard over and over again in your life. Love the Lord with everything. Talk about him everywhere you go. And we find that Samson forsook his godly heritage. We see so often working with teenagers, is that we see teenagers forsaking their godly heritage and you're looking at them like, and the parents are saying, you weren't raised this way. What are you, what are you thinking? What are, what are you doing right now? How could, you, how could this happen in your life? And it's this apathy that creeps in. The next thing he does is that he disrespects his Nazarite vows. There's something about disrespect. Listen to me. There's something about disrespect that automatically shows you're apathetic about a certain situation. If you have no respect for a certain situ- situation or thing in your life, it's just that definition comes out. I have no concern. I don't care. Samson, over the course of time, he would enter into a vineyard. He would scoop honey out of a dead lion's carcass. Then, ultimately, he would have his hair cut, which we'll talk more about in a minute. All three primary vows, he disrespected them. You see, here's the thing. God takes our commitments seriously. 
In fact, Jesus says to us on the Sermon on the Mount, don't make any oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no. And see, here's what I I 100% agree with that. But there are times when I make a commitment to God. We say, Lord, I will do this. Lord, I will give this. Lord, I will serve here. Lord, I will go if you call me to go. I will be what you call me to do. Lord, please open up an opportunity for me. And then the opportunity opens. Now, where am I? Now I have to follow through with that act. Now God takes this stuff seriously. And it's important for us to make these conscious commitments, these things that we make, and take them seriously as well. We argue, well, you know, Pastor Jason, God's a God of grace. He's not going to really judge. I I know in my own life, I'm going to say this statement. I don't want to presume God's grace. I don't want to make a presumption of God's grace. I don't want so many teenagers that have the attitude, oh, he'll forgive me anyways. Oh, you know, I really wanted that to happen and it did, but, you know, all this stuff. And we see the hand of God in life over and over and over again, and yet, where is our follow-up? Samson disrespected his commitments. Samson played with sin, we'll talk about it in a moment, and he acted extremely selfish. He acted extremely selfish. These were the apathetic patterns in his life. Now, for each of these points, I want to give you a quick response. What do we do? What do we do when apathy starts to creep in? Creep in. We have to make the decision to build our faith, not be lazy in it. Apathy, in definition, in, in short, is laziness. So how do, I, how do I combat apathy? I've got to build. I've got to work. Now, I'm not saying you work for your salvation or do any of those things like that, but I have to be, I have to be in effort. There, there's no standing still in, in God's kingdom work. Let me say that again. There's no standing still in God's kingdom's work. You're either pressing towards the prize which God has called you to, or you're retreating. You're moving backwards. God's kingdom is always what? Advancing. And we're either with it or we're not, right? That one wasn't even in my notes. That was extra. Let's build. Number one, how do we do this? We must build spiritual practices. This is really simple, but I don't understand why we don't do it. First thing we need to do to build spiritual practices is to stay in the word. Very simply, love this word, own this word, live this word. This word is your source. Keep reading this book. There's something so powerful, something so great about getting God's word in your heart. In fact, it says, I hide this word in my heart so I won't sin. So I won't be apathetic. So I won't be spiritually weak. So when the storms of life come my way, I have something to stand on. I hide it in my heart so I won't sin. This word is your protective covering. This word is your source. You can't be lazy in reading God's Word. Five of you agree with that. That's good. We'll advance the kingdom together. Okay. You must be a people of prayer. God, talk, talk to God. Develop a relationship with Him wherever you go, in your car, where you walk, where you work, your alone time, your quiet time. Paul will make a statement, I pray continually. I'm not saying he's speaking in tongues and freaking everybody out all the time, but he is in a constant state of prayer, a constant state of relationship with his his creator. Prayer. Worship. Man, I applaud you guys for being here this morning. It is tough to get out of bed, and there's a lot of excuses for staying home. You're here. Keep it up. And here's the thing. There's something incredibly significant about us being together in like faith, worshiping together. In fact, Hebrews 10 tells us not to forsake the fellowship, not to do that. 
Be committed to spiritual practices. Number two, and this is where I think Samson really messed up, is be committed to remain relationally connected. Pastor Jason, I'm a loner. Then you will probably fail in the fight. Samson was a loner. We don't see anyone in his life that he was accountable to or that he rallies with. Remember, the judge's job was to rally people together for a cause. And Samson, he did it by himself. And I I do believe the fact that there was no one speaking into his life. And this is what proved fatal to Samson. At some point, Samson believed his own press. I lifted up the gates. Lions don't stand a chance against me. I'm awesome. I, I, I. I starts to creep up in our life. And this pride that comes in with individualism and this pride, you know, you're not meant to walk through this Christian life alone. And we come in and we feel like we come to church. I can't let my guard down. I can't be vulnerable. I can't let anybody in. This is the place. This is the community. This is where stuff happens. These altars, oh, those are scary. If I walk down, everybody will know. That's the point. That we know what's going on in your life. That we can pray with you. That we can walk through this situation with you and what you're going through. That was an extra one too. You see, for Samson, we got to realize that the credit wasn't Samson. Anything he did, it was because he was empowered by the Lord. And what if we took that same knowledge in our own life? Anything to my credit is the Lord's. Anything that I do, the glory goes to him. Anything that I accomplish, it's his. Just a thought. See, there's there's the lost art of discipleship right now in the church. What we talk about in our college ministry is that a proper discipleship, what you should is you should have at least three people in your life. And they're in three different spaces. You should have somebody over you. That should be somebody pouring into you. That should be a spiritual mentor in your life who's going to speak life into you. The problem is we're so full of pride. When somebody starts speaking into our life, we leave and go into the other church. We can't handle correction. You should have somebody pouring into you, above you. You should have somebody next to you. You should be accountable to somebody in your life. Somebody walking through life with you, that you're sharing your, your stuff with, that you're, that's praying for you, that's leading you, that, that you guys are walking together with. Somebody in the same probably avenue of life that you're in. And then you should have somebody underneath you that you're pouring into. We overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of what? Our testimony, our story, the things we walk through. And God has taken you through certain things so you can pour through other people so they don't have to go through those certain things. That's discipleship. That's why we exist here at Faith Assembly. That's why we have classes at night. That's why we have... Uh, small groups during the week. That's why we have men's fraternity and sisterhood. All of these things are designed so you can connect with people. Listen, isolation is lonely. An island is a lonely place to be. You're not meant to walk through this thing alone. All of this leads to apathy. We must stay connected. We must be in our spiritual practices. Number two. Not only was the giant of apathy in his life, the giant of compromise. I believe apathy will lead you to a place of compromise. 
There's this car commercial out right now, and I love it with, with, uh, with Nissan. And uh, the guy fills his uh, tire up with air, and it, it honks and tells him when to stop. You may see that? He like, goes to give his boss a handshake. Honk. <laughs> Samson needed a honk in his life. That Holy Spirit that should be living and reigning in your life is honking at you. When compromise is in your face, that honk is coming up. Look at this statement, and this is what I believe is Samson's, if you can call it, his biggest honk. I've seen a Philistine woman, this is what he tells his parents, now get her for me. Honk. I've seen a Philistine woman, now get her for me. See, the fact that he wanted to be with a Philistine after his apathetic life is compromising everything that the Israelites stood for. You don't intermarry with the enemy. You don't go to bed with the enemy. He wants to intermarry uh, this woman, and this is before Delilah. This was his first lady. He had many. This puts his family in a compromising situation. He ends up breaking all of these vows. Vengeance follows. All kinds of immorality follows. This opens the door for more other immoral practices. He visits a prostitute, and he eventually ends up in the arms of another Philistine woman named Delilah. Compromises all in his life. That word Delilah, that word carries so many things, doesn't it? You see, for most men, probably 8 out of 10 men struggle with what Samson struggled with, which is sensuality, lust in their life. And Samson had a huge struggle with this in his life. He had to struggle with the ladies. It was his downfall. But it's not just the sensuality thing. You see, we all have a Delilah in our life. And, what, and to me, what, what Delilah defines is, Delilah are those areas of temptation in your life that left unchecked will prove to be your destruction. Delilah are those areas in your life, if left unchecked, will prove to be your destruction. Whether it's greed, whether it's money, whether it's pride, girls, whether it's insecurity, whether it's comparison in your life, whether it's gossip, if it's left unchecked, it will prove to be destructive. Look at James chapter 1 verse 14. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by what? By their own. By their own evil desires. Then entice. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived. Look at that. Notice that own. You need to understand how powerful the lure and the enticement of your desires can be. How do we respond to this? Knowing that that these enticements and these things are so powerful in our life. How do we respond? Very quickly. Don't negotiate with Delilah. Don't negotiate with Delilah. Say that again. Don't negotiate with Delilah. This is a long passage, but I want to read it in its entirety just because it's good. Judges chapter 16, verse 4. You can follow along with me if you want. Sometime later, he fell in love. Honk. He fell in love with a woman in the valley of Sorak, whose name was Delilah. The rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, watch this. 
See if you can lure him. Was that? See if you can lure him into showing him the secret of his great strength so we can do what? So we can overpower him, so we may tie him up and subdue him. You can insert destroy him. Each one of us will give you 1,100 shekels of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, Tell me the secret of your great strength and how you can be tied up and subdued. Tell me how I can kill you. Samson answered, Honk. Anybody watch, anybody watch ESPN Sports Center? Come on, man. You, get, you got the come on, man. Samson answered, I'll answer you. How do you kill me? Here's how. If anyone ties me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, I'll become as weak as any other man. The rulers of the Philistines brought her seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried, and she tied them with them. When the men hit with men hidden in the room, she called them, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. But he snapped the bowstrings as easily as a piece of string snaps when it comes close to the flame. So the secret of his strength was not discovered. Then Delilah said, Samson, you've made a fool of me. You have lied to me. Come now, tell me how you can be tied. He said, if anyone ties me securely, I'll tell you how to kill me again. If anyone ties me securely with new ropes that have never been used, I become as weak as any other man. So Delilah took new ropes and tied him with them. Then the mid hid, hid in the room and she called him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. But he snapped the ropes off his arms as if they were threads. Watch out for Pastor Craig. He is ripped. Delilah then said to Samson, All this time you've been making a fool of me and lying to me. Tell, tell me how you can be tied. He replied, If you will weave seven braids, if you will weave the seven braids of my hair to the fabric of a loom and tighten them with a pen, I will become as weak as any other man. So while he was sleeping, Delilah took off. While he was sleeping, apathetic, compromised. This is, this is not in scripture, but what my brain thinks is, How can you sleep with someone putting your hair in a loom. I'll tell you how. He was most likely drunk. That's not in Scripture anywhere, but he was most likely drunk. Where was I? That was an extra one. Fabric of the loom, and I'll become as weak as any other man. So while he was sleeping, Delilah took seven braids of his head and wove them to the fabric, and he tightened them with the pen. And again she called him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his sleep and pulled out the pen of the loom. And then he said, how can you say, this is where she gets him, how can you say you love, I love you, when you won't confide in me? This is the third time you've made a fool of me and haven't told me the secret. So he told her, uh, secret of your great strength, with such great nagging. Put her on the roof. It's Proverbs. With such great nagging, she prodded him day after day till he was sick to death of it. So he told her, no razor has ever been used on my head. And if it were shaved, my strength would leave me and I would become as weak as any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her everything, she sent word to the rulers of the Philistines. Come back once more. He has told me everything. So the ruler of the Philistines returned with the silver in her hands. They knew they got him. After putting her to sleep in her lap, she called for someone to shave off the seven braids of his hair so that they began to subdue him and his strength left him. And then she called, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. But he did not know 
that the Lord had left him. Then the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes, and took him down to Gaza, biting him with bronze shackles, sent him grinding grain in the prison. This guy flat doesn't get it. And we quote, hey, come on, man. First of all, these are the Philistines. These are your enemies. He is their enemy. And she continues to ask, what's the secret of your strength? Why? Why does she ask this over and over again? For the very reason to subdue him, to destroy him, to take him out. You know what I learned from this? That Samson didn't have a clue. And most of the time, we don't either. We get very hard on Samson. But we don't either because we continue to do repeat behaviors in our life. We continue to negotiate with our sin. We continue to put ourselves in compromising situations that we know will lead to destruction, and yet we do it on our own accord. You see, when when temptation comes, it is based on your desire. Then it is acted upon, and then evil rises, and that gives birth to death. Isn't this what happened with Samson? Give me a woman, a Philistine woman. He's out of control. No eyes, grinding like an animal. See, here's the fact. The enemy is a roaring lion seeking whom he would devour. He knows your weakness. He knows your Delilah, and he knows it probably better than you do, or at least better than you admit. We're so hard on Samson. Listen, if you, men, if you have trouble with lust in your heart, it is not a good idea to take your laptop to the bedroom at night with no filters and no guards. But we rationalized. I'm just checking the scores. Come on, man. We negotiate. Do you know, side note, do you, do you know that 11 to 17, the, the age 11 to 17... 74% of our boys, 11 to 17, are viewing pornographic websites more than three times a month. That's what statistics tell me. They're repeating, repeating patterns from men who have compromised. They seem compromised and a lack of love in their life, so they try to find it on a computer screen. Don't negotiate with Delilah. If you, have a, if you have trouble with sensuality in your heart and in your mind, hey, upgrade for cable. It's, it's fall. Football's on, right? And let's throw in three movie channels with it. Okay, let me see those for three months. I, need, I like good movies. And we negotiate, right? Well, there's good movies that come on from 6 o'clock to 9 o'clock, but I'll turn it off after that. Send to the max. Come on, man. Ladies, we're bound by insecurity in comparison in our life. And we compare families and we compare jobs and we compare cars and we do this nagging thing. If we just did this as a family, if we just did this, why can't we just do this? You know why? Because you spend six hours a day on Facebook looking at somebody else's family instead of worried about your own. Mm. Listen to me. Comparison is the death of contentment. It will destroy you. I hate social media. See, what happens? We let this foster in our life. 
We let this grow in our life, and you end up seized. What does it mean to be seized? Here's a whole other message for you that I don't have time for. You end up seized. Samson says they seized him. There's no movement in your life. Because we compromise on the party on the weekend, we compromise on the internet at night, and we come in to this house and expect to worship God, but we're seized by our compromise. Seized means no movement. There's there's no movement for or with God. You see, the kingdom of God is constantly advancing, and you're seized. And you end up with your eyes gouged out. And your eyes gouged out is your vision. And because you're seized and because you're trapped in this sin, because you're trapped in this sin cycle, you have no vision for the lost. You have no vision of why God created you. You have no vision for your workplace. You have no vision for the lost and dying next to your next door neighbors. And when we do outreaches and we do events, it's all about you. It's all about me because I'm seized and I have no vision. And without vision, you will perish. Mm. And then we're in bronze shackles with completely no freedom in our life. And we look and we say, where are you, God? Are you kidding me? He's there with grace and love and mercy. And we're here with ourself and our agenda and what we want to do. Not even setting ourselves up for anything but destruction. You can't negotiate with Delilah. Hmm. All right. My time's going. Number three, the giant of the finish. The giant of the finish. I know in my life, here's the thing. When I look at Samson, I know in my life, I get this intense desire that I want to finish strong in my life and faith. That I don't want to have any things that I regret, any behaviors that I've done that I shouldn't have. You know what? I'm, I'm so grateful for God's grace. And it is so rich and it is so amazing and it is so powerful. But I don't want to have regrets along the way that don't let me finish strong. I don't want to get into heaven by the skin of my teeth and just say, whew, I made it. I want to live a life of victory and power. I want people to be attracted to my faith. I want people, when they look at Jason, they see Jesus. I want to finish strong. I, uh, when my mom passed away... Uh, Jessica and I moved in with my dad, and uh, it, was, it was a crazy time. Uh, my father, many of you, you walked through us with this process, but he, he got into the gym like two hours a day. Like he'd come home late at night. I, he was dealing with a lot of those emotions and those things, and I don't blame him. And, uh, and, and we lived with him in the house, and, and we did that for a year just to get him through that crazy stage. And, and so uh, he's working out all the time. He lost like 30 pounds, and it was pretty crazy. And... Uh, I kind of did the opposite. I just kind of, he lives way out in Monk's Corner, so I didn't go to the gym. I, I went to the gym for like two weeks in January. That was it. <laughs> and so while he's dropping 30, I'm gaining 30. He just gave his weight to me. And so this is that kind of time in our life. It was just crazy. And so approaching the spring, you know, probably nine months, you know, they, they did the Cooper River Bridge Run. And uh, my dad's like, Jason, run this with me. I'm like, all right, we'll do it. Sure. I'd run it in years past and, and had done it and, and all that before. And at this time, I'm only in late 20s. I'm, I, you know, and dad, he's old. And uh, so, but, but there's something, let me just give you a warning. If he approaches you and says, hey, buddy, do this with me, run the other way. Uh, that's his line. Hey, buddy. Okay. So, 
So he says, hey, let's run the ri- bridge run. And he gets, uh, he gets Steve Droz and Dale, his neighbors, and the four of us are going to go run it. Well, man, he, he takes off out the gate. Going. And, and my dad's like, they, they have colors for you of where you're supposed to stand. And so, you know, we're like in the 55 minute to hour and 20 minutes. So we're kind of back in the back, which is like a jog, but it's a long, grueling, terrible jog. And, uh, and so my dad, all of a sudden, he's like, look at that big gap. Let's get up to the front of the line. Dad, these guys are good. No, no. And so they're all like in their running shorts. I'm not. I have holes in my shoe, you know. And they start stretching, so it's so funny to watch my dad. He doesn't even know what he's doing. It's like, and, uh, and so, so man, they, they take off. And out the gate, he's flying. I'm like, Dad, slow down. It's six miles. And mainly because I'm about to pass out in mile one. Slow down. And... Uh, so him and Dale just go, and, and me and Steve, we come over that grueling bridge, and it's just long and steep, but not really steep, but just long. And you come over the top, and I look at Steve, and we're looking at each other, and I'm just like, Steve, let's just not stop. Let's just that be our whole goal. So it's more kind of like we were doing a walk trot. Like. <laughs> but this humbling thing happened. Uh, probably about a 70-year-old woman passes us. Okay, she has one of those belts with water bottles on it. A Walkman, no kidding, Walkman, like not even iPod or anything. And she's speed walking, passes us, speed walking. I look at Steve, I'm like, just don't stop, man, just don't stop. Here's the thing. I looked this up online. Anybody ever heard of the Iron Man contest? I mean, what in the world? Let me tell you what. Let me tell you what it is. It consists of a 2.4 mile swim. Out the gate, let's swim for 2.4 miles. No, thank you. Can we float like this? <laughs> After that, you get out of the water. It's a 112 mile bike ride. After the 112 mile bike ride, then you start a 26.2 mile marathon. Now, we hear the phrase is that, that the Christian life is not a sprint. It is what? It's a marathon. I would say to you this morning that the Christian life is like an Ironman. And, and, and if we look at this, what, where are you in the process? See, some of you may just be starting this race. I want to I challenge you today. Determine to finish strong. Determine to finish strong. Put in practices in place that will allow you to finish strong. There is no... Can you imagine me waking up in the morning... Hey, I think I'm going to do an Iron Man today. Yeah, this is Iron Man. I may have to get some shoes on, trade in the boots. Let's, but yeah, let's do an Iron Man. You would look at me like I was crazy, right? Because it's like 21 grueling hours. Listen to this. What is it about our Christian faith that makes us think that we do nothing and yet we're going to finish strong? We don't train. We don't put practices into place. We have no accountability in our life. We come in week in and week out. And we just, yeah, I love God. I'm going to finish strong. We need to work. We need to train. By no means am I saying that you work your way into heaven. Don't go there. 
We need to work. We need to train. We need to develop. We need to build our spiritual lives so, so we can finish strong. We need to be aware of those compromises that are going to come at us from every angle. We need to know that there's an enemy who's that roaring lion seeking whom we may devour. But at the same time, there's a God who, who brings us life and life more abundant. And, and we need to know that that war is taking place and those spiritual warfare things are happening in our life. We need to be aware. And all that, we need to train for this thing. Paul says, I'm, I'm an athlete. I don't beat the, I'm, I'm fighting, I'm training, I'm, I'm here, I'm ready for the prize. Everything that I read in Paul's writings is pressing on towards the prize, is pushing, throwing off things that easily entangle me. There is a fight that we have to do in this Christian faith. And we just wake up and think we're going to run the Ironman. What's Sunday? I, th- I guess I go to church. Judges chapter 16. Now the rulers of the Philistine assembled. To offer, a great sacrifice, to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, celebrating, saying, Our God has delivered us, Samson, our enemy, into our hands. And when the people saw him, they praised their God, saying, Our God has delivered the enemy into our hands, who laid waste to the, and the multitude that were slain. And while they were in high spirits, they shouted, Bring out Samson to entertain us. So they called out Samson from the prison, and he performed for them. When they stood him among the pillars, Samson said to the servant, who held his hand, most likely a little boy, who held his hand. Put me where I can feel the pillars. Support the temple so I may lean against them. Now the temple is crowded with men and women, and all the rulers of the Philistines were there. On the roof there was about 3,000 men and women watching Samson perform. And Samson prayed to the Lord, O sovereign Lord, remember me, please. Please, God, strengthen me just one more. Let me with one blow revenge on the Philistines from my two eyes. Strengthen me once more. Sounds like a great prayer, right? But what does he follow this up with? To revenge for my two eyes? You see, Samson was even selfish until the end. I was taught in Sunday school that Samson was the man pushed over the pillars. He was selfish until the end. He wanted revenge for his two eyes. You don't get the picture like David when everybody's crowding and the guy's mocking the God. What does David do? Ah, uh, not my God. I come to you with the Spirit. You don't see any of that in Samson's life. But you don't see the training in Samson's life either. You don't see where David was in. The field playing his harp, singing praises to the Lord. David, the least, knew he was the least among the brothers. Most people believe theology will argue that he was probably an illegitimate son. That's why he wasn't included. And he's out here playing in the field, hanging out, fellowship and praising the Lord. David had that training. So when he, when he was infronted with the mockery of God, what did he, he said, this is for my God. Come on. You with me? Samson, even in the death, here's the mocking God, but what is it for? Let me push these pillars. They took my eyes. Story goes on. Samson reached towards the central pillars and stood, bracing himself against them, right hand and left hand, and said, Let me die with the Philistines. Then he pushed with all his might. The temple came down, and the rulers and thus he killed more when he died than when he lived. Humiliated, blind, grinding grain, being led around by a child, performing for his enemies. He prayed, yes, and God strengthened him, and God used him one more time. But it leads me to this question as we close this morning. How much more could have Samson done? If he had remained faithful to those vows, if if his heritage was strong in his life, if he built his spiritual life, what heritage could Samson have passed on to the next generation? It's a sobering thought. How much more if we remain faithful? So our response has to be, let's finish well. I don't just decide to finish. I don't just try to finish. I do it. I put these things in my life, the practices in place. I make sure I understand my temptations. And when they come, I get that junk out of my life that leads to destruction. 
It's remaining sensitive in spirit. It's, it's nurturing that spirit within me. And I finish well. And I want to be like Timothy in chapter 4. I've fought that fight. I've finished that race. I've kept that faith. Now there's in store for me a crown of righteousness. That's what God calls us for. I want to finish strong. As the band slips up, in conclusion, I want to ask you, are you building your spiritual life? Or as compromise comes along, and it's numbed you to the Spirit of God in His presence. I'll tell you one strong ind- indication. Man, when the Lord comes in and His presence is here, one strong indication is that you are not moved by anything. You're seized. And you can come in here. China buffet. I can't wait. Do you realize we're worshiping the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords who died and gave His life for you? Compromise, creep in. Stuff creep in your life. Question is, has something got a hold of you? Is there a weakness? Is there a challenge that the enemy is using that he keeps pushing and pressing? And you know what it is, and he certainly does. Let me tell you an encouraging thought. Paul tells us that there's no temptation of that which is common to man, that when you are tempted, that God, he will provide a way of escape. Whatever temptation you're facing, Jesus Christ is more powerful. But it's time that we acknowledge that, we confess that, we be forgiven, we receive that grace and the mercy and victory comes in our life. But not only that, we walk with the change. We walk different. Jacob, when he wrestled with God, had an encounter that changed his walk forever. When was the last time you just wrestled with God? Say, so here's this thing that is so big, I can't, I can't hold on to it anymore. It's ruled. It's reigned my life for too long. I'm laying it down here at your feet. And see, when you leave, it's, it's, it's one thing to pray, but you have to leave with the, the, the knowledge in your mind that when you walk out the door, that temptation is going to slap you dead in the face. That test, Israelites, the Philistines test, that test. So then we, 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 we get up, we get in classes, we get around the people, we get around a life group, a sisterhood, a men's fraternity. We make a decision that I'm not going to allow this to erode my character, to mess with my heritage that I'm handing on to this next generation. Last question, where are you in this race? Are you in the beginning? Great. There's, if you're in the beginning, there's probably temptations everywhere in your life right now. I want to encourage you. Put practices into place today. Get around the people. Have somebody above you, next to you, under you. Surround surround yourself with people of like faith and like heart and like mind who will build you up. You're in the beginning of your race. Some of you are in the middle of your race. Raising kids. You've got all these things going on. Things are happening in your life. Finish strong. Determine to finish strong. Recognize your heritage. Some of you are at the end of your race. I'm going to spend just, just a sidebar here. Some of you have bought into that you can retire in this Christian life. I want to tell you, there's, this kingdom of God is always advancing. We've been doing studies with, with new members. Do you know that the majority of our workers come from new members? And we have people sitting in this room right now who have, haven't served in ministry in 10 years. Who haven't given their life to something other than, oh, I've done my time. I'm, 
I'm good. And we, and we blame it that it's not our season in life. God wants you active and vibrant and about his ministry. God wants you a part of something bigger than yourself. God's got a purpose and a plan for your, for your workplace. He's got a purpose and a plan for faith assembly on these campuses that we're launching and everything that's going on. And he wants you to be a part. Thanks for listening. For more, check out faithishere.org.